Hey, so 2,000 years ago, there were two people that were walking down this road together and they were having a conversation. And both of these people were very sad and confused uh, because there had been a lot of strange things that had been happening, especially in the last week and especially in the last hour. And so as they were walking, uh, there was a seven-mile journey that they had to go into this little town uh, outside of Jerusalem. And as they were walking and talking about these strange things, there was this strange man that came up to them and said, hey, what's this conversation that you're having with each other as you walk? And it, it wasn't that they didn't recognize this man that made them stop. It was actually the question. The question was so absurd because everyone was talking about it. Everyone was talking about the rumors and wondering if they were true. And that's why one of them named Cleopas, he turned to this stranger and he said, are you the only one, the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened there in these days? And the stranger simply says, well, what things? And this guy named Cleopas, he, he says, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He, he was a, a prophet and a man before God who was mighty in word and deed. And well, he was. Because the chief priests and elders, they had offered him up to be condemned and crucified him. And we had hoped that he would be the one to save Israel. We had hoped. But now it's been three days. And you see, this was a big deal for Cleopas and his friend because they had given their whole life to follow this Jesus of Nazareth guy. And when Jesus, the, the one that they had hoped in, the one that they thought would be the Savior, the one that they thought fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures that were predicted, the Messiah, when he died, their hopes died And what was so interesting is that they, what they didn't know is that this person that they were talking to, it, it actually was not just a stranger. I mean, it was a stranger to them. But this person was actually the resurrected Jesus. And even though they didn't recognize him, I don't know, maybe his body was new because he was resurrected from the dead. But um, the, the thing that this stranger Jesus said to, this, to these people was, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? So naturally, Cleo, they were leaning in because their Savior, their Messiah had just died. The tomb was empty, and now this stranger seems to know what was going on. And it was, in fact, Jesus himself. And with them leaning in, it says, and, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted the, to them, look at this, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. We're in this series called By the Book. And in this series, we've been uh, exploring this question, why do Christians give unparalleled authority to this really old collection of documents that's so often scrutinized and criticized. Christians, they believe that the Bible is the, an unparalleled authority for all that we believe and all that we do. Why do Christians do that? And this is an important question for all of us to answer because uh, if you're a Christian and you're going to live your life by this book following Jesus, well, you, you want to know why, right? 
And if you're not a Christian, and maybe you're thinking about becoming one, well, that would be an important reason to answer that question. And if you're not a Christian and you get frustrated with Christians because of the way that they, they always defer to the Bible, they're always deferring, and it can just get so frustrating, well, understanding why is it an authority in Christians' lives, that's a really important question for all of us to ask. And these two disciples that were walking on the road with, I guess, mystery ninja Jesus, uh, who they didn't recognize, they, they were walking on the road and they experienced just one of the reasons firsthand. One of the reasons, and I want to share that with you today. One of the reasons that, uh, that Christians give unparalleled authority to the Bible is that all roads through the Bible lead to Jesus. All roads through the Bible. So if you're walking down the roads of the stories of Genesis or the hard-to-read stuff in Leviticus, or if you're walking down the road of the poetry and the Psalms and the Proverbs or, uh, or Paul's letters or the Gospels or Revelation, whatever road you walk down through the Scriptures, it leads to Jesus. And this is actually pretty fascinating. Th- think about this for a second. And think, think about how this affects how trustworthy and true and authoritative Scripture actually is. How could it be that 66 different books, different books, written by different people in different languages, two different people, for different reasons, in different periods of history, talking about different things, how is it that these diverse collection of documents, how is it that they can all point to one man, one One man, Jesus Christ. How is it that Jesus Christ can fulfill the entire Old Testament, 39 different documents? Jesus Christ is the center of all of that. All rows, whatever one you travel down, it's kind of like a a funnel leading to one point. It's kind of like a complex system of highways and byways that whatever way you turn, left or right, they lead to one dude, one guy, one God, Jesus Christ. And it's so interesting because the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. And the New Testament describes Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. And the New Testament, it describes Jesus. And and this is something that that if you want to check in or check out a little bit more, I want to encourage you to check out a couple resources here. Uh, The Jesus Storybook Bible, I know it, it looks like it's for kids, but I'm telling you, I'm a seminary student and do graduate-level research on this stuff. This book's awesome. You, you got to read, like, if you're an adult, you should read this book. It is that good. It's that good. And this will show you how the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus and the New Testament describes Jesus. Uh, Jennifer Scott, who just did the announcements up here, she's our, our director of community life. She has a class that she teaches. She uh, requires the drama of Scripture. So if you want something that doesn't look as kiddish, uh, the drama of, of Scripture is a great resource for you to check out. You can come look at them up here uh, after the service if you'd like. But this is a really important concept when we consider what's the authority of Scripture. And I just want to point out a couple things, how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. This is, this is so interesting to me. So in the Old Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills all these different promises. God makes, he's a promise-making God. In fact, he's a promise-keeping God. God made a promise to Adam. God made a promise to Noah. He made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Moses. He made a promise to David. You might have heard the word covenant before. And all of these promises were looking to be fulfilled. And guess who fulfilled them? Jesus. And it's described in the New Testament. So Jesus fulfills the Old Testament promises. We also see that Jesus, he fulfills Old Testament prophecies 
hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even around, there were people that were writing about the Messiah. And it's so interesting to see from his life, actually, just put, put up a couple of these on the screen, and you can just Google some of this stuff, and you'll find lots of fascinating things. Uh, and and it's, it's just so interesting. He would be called king, he's born in Bethlehem, he's uh, called out of Egypt. There's just tons and tons of these different scriptures that looked forward to the Messiah. And when you look at the story of Jesus, he fulfills them. How is it that prophecies hundreds of years before Jesus were fulfilled in the historical life of Jesus. Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies. Another one is that Jesus fulfills Old Testament typologies, which is a fancy word for how the uh, historical events in the past are reflected in Jesus's historical life. So Jonah, he's in the belly of the fish for three days, right? And then Jesus is in the belly of the earth for three days. We see that Abraham leads his son Isaac up to the top of a mountain where he's going to sacrifice his son to God. And God says, no, stop, because I'm going to lead my son up a mountain called Calvary, and he's going to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And, and we see that, uh, that there's all these different stories, that there's the Passover lamb that's going to atone for all the sin of God's people in the Old Testament. And then John calls Jesus the lamb of God who takes away the sins, not just of God's people, but of the whole world, the whole world. And so there's all these reflections of uh, past historical events that uh, are, are reflected in Jesus's life. And Jesus fulfills Old Testament typologies. And the last one is that Jesus, he fulfills the Old Testament storyline. So we see that Jesus fulfills the promises, he fulfills the prophecies, he fulfills the typologies, and he fulfills the storyline. And the story goes very simply like this. God created humanity. And humanity rebelled against God and, and said, you know, I, I don't want relationship the way you want it. And God started a family through a man named Abraham. And he said, through this family, I'm going to bring the whole world back into relationship with me. And so later, God brought Israel, that family, out of Egypt. He gave them the Ten Commandments, and he eventually gave them kings. But the king, you know, when you get a king, kings act like kings, right? And they make lots of mistakes, and, and uh, Israel just failed over and over again. And then the prophets came and said, the Messiah will come and set everything right. And so this whole story is looking forward to one man, and it's Jesus. Jesus fulfills the promises, the prophecies, the typologies, and the storyline. And it's because Jesus is looked forward to by the Old Testament. The New Testament describes Jesus. Did you know that, that James, the brother of Jesus, his flesh and blood brother, wrote a book in the New Testament? Well, let me ask you, what would you have to do to get your brother to believe that you are the Son of God? What would you have to do? So much so, and get this, James was martyred. He was martyred. He was martyred. And he, he believed this so much. What would you have to do? And he ended up writing this letter that's in the New Testament that describes how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And that just gives authority, doesn't it? That just gives some authority to these scriptures. Because the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus, the New Testament describes Jesus, and it's because all roads through the Bible, they lead to Jesus. So let me give you, um, let me give you an example for what this, what this means for our life, okay? Um, the other day, I was, I was talking to my wife, Michelle, and um, I, I was telling her what we'd be talking about today, and she said, 
wow, you know, that's, that's a really interesting topic. That was actually kind of a breakthrough for me in my faith. And, and I knew the story, but I said, tell me the story. And, uh, and she said, well, there, there was this time uh, in my faith where, I don't know, it just was kind of a dark time. It was a time where I didn't feel connected with God. Um, you know, I, was, I believed, but I had so many doubts. And I, I kind of felt like a second-class Christian. I kind of felt like God was always so distant. And, and th- there was just like this wall that was between us. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of us here, I know that I've had days like that in my faith. Maybe some of us here have had that too. She told me that she came across this, uh, this text, and it's in the Old Testament. It's, it's so interesting. Uh, it's written by a man named Isaiah. And Isaiah was prophesying about the Messiah. And when Michelle read this, uh, read this, she had a breakthrough because she realized that when Isaiah wrote this, it was at least 650 years before Jesus was born. Let me show you what this text says. It says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. Oh, by the way, did you know that Jesus, uh, in his earthly life, he grew up in the synagogue and in the temple, which was considered the very presence of God? And did you know that he, as a 12-year-old, was astounding the religious leaders there? And did you know that uh, uh, there was actually 400 years of no prophetic activity between the end of the Old Testament and when Jesus was born? So it was a very dry and desolate spiritual time in Israel's life. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and he's like this this root, this green shoot that shoots out of this dry ground of this, this old and dead Jewish temple worship regime. And did you know that according to John's gospel, that Jesus always existed in the beginning with God, in the very presence of the Father. Anyway, uh, Isaiah, he goes on, he says, uh, There's, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Oh, by the way, did you know that Jesus was a carpenter? And he was never rich, and actually he was homeless. There was nothing beautiful to attract us to him. He was from a podunk town called Nazareth. Anyway, uh, so Isaiah, he goes on, he says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. By the way, did you know that Jesus, being fully God and fully human, that he knew the full gamut of human pain? He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was rejected by the people that had welcomed him into Jerusalem as king. He was rejected by his best friends. And while he was on the cross, he cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, he, he was despised and rejected. Isaiah goes on, Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought it was trouble, his trouble was a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Did you know that the Pharisees were mocking Jesus on the cross, saying, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you just come down? You're so powerful, why don't you just come down? And the Pharisees, they believed because of the, this Old Testament text, they didn't really understand that uh, anyone that was hung on a tree or a tree carved into a cross, that they were cursed by God. And they thought it was because God hated them. Turns out that Jesus, he was cursed by God because God loved us and for the forgiveness of our sins. Isaiah goes on, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Did you know that Jesus' hands were pierced by Roman nails? 
that his feet were pierced by Roman nails, that his brow was pierced by thorns, that his side was pierced by a Roman spear. He was crushed and beaten and bruised. He was hit in the face. He was spit on. He, he was whipped and flogged. He was emotionally crushed. He was physically crushed. And, and it was also that we could be healed. Isaiah goes on, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We all have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. Jesus, when he was on trial to be executed, uh, he didn't say anything. He didn't defend himself. He didn't defend himself before the religious leaders. He didn't defend himself before Pilate. Uh, and and even, even though that he could have, by his very words, stopped it all while he was on the cross, he said nothing. And he would, yet he was the very word of God himself. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Did you know that John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Did you know that Jesus' trial before the religious leaders was a complete sham? There was an argument about, about whose jurisdiction Jesus' case was, and when it finally came to Pilate, Pilate could find nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with Jesus to condemn him and to execute him. But when the crowd started to revolt, Pilate decided that he would trade Barabbas, this revolutionary, this murderer, for Jesus and have Jesus be executed. Isaiah goes on. He says, No one cared he died without descendants that his life was cut short in midstream. Jesus indeed had no children and was executed at approximately age 33. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life that none of us have ever done on our own. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Did you know that Jesus was crucified with criminals? One on his right and one on his left. Did you know that after he had died, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea that uh, was a rich and prominent man on the council in Jerusalem? And he took a risk and got Jesus' body and laid it in a tomb that Joseph had purchased. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's, look at this, good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that he has accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, My righteous servant, referring to Jesus, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Do you know that Paul wrote about Jesus to the Romans and how Jesus was the one by which we were counted righteous with God? I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. Look at that. Look at that again. He exposed himself to death. If Jesus was God, he could have stopped it. But he decided to expose himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and intercedes for the rebels. By his own volition, he laid down his life for rebels like me. And I think that Michelle realized that very thought, that is for rebels like me 
And 650 years before Jesus was around, this was God's plan all along, that whoever would put faith in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And, and I can't tell you like, how, how meaningful it is as her husband to see how that's affected her life, how that reality, this 650 years before Jesus, these things were said about him, and then he did them. And to me, that just gives a, a major amount of, of authority to the scripture. And I think that it's so important that we get this, right? Because Jesus, he's the center of it all. All roads lead to Jesus. All roads through the Bible. Actually, let me rephrase that. Not all roads lead to Jesus. All roads through the Bible lead to Jesus. And, and it's important that we get this because it's easy to miss the point of the Bible when you can't see who the Bible points to. Now, let me say that again. It's easy to miss the point of the Bible when you can't see who the Bible points to. And that's why one day there were these Pharisees, and uh, they, they were, the Pharisees, man, they were just real smart on the Bible. They, they knew the Bible better than any of us, okay? They knew all the rules. They knew all the argument. And one day they were really mad with Jesus because Jesus had healed a guy, and it was the Sabbath day when you're not supposed to do any work. So they were really mad at Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, man, you, you've missed the whole point. And look at what he says in this scripture. He says that you search the scriptures because you think that in them that you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's easy to miss the point of the Bible when you can't see who the Bible is pointing to. So for a lot of us, I know that, that the Bible, it, it's really easy to turn it into like this intellectual religious exercise. And, you know, if you do that, you're going to find some really amazing stuff. You really will. Uh, and, and believe me, I've done that for the last four years in seminary. It's, it can be really fun. But if that's all that it ever is, you're going to miss the point. You're going to miss the authority behind the scriptures. It's more than an intellectual exercise. If the Bible for you is just kind of like spiritual, feel-good uh, inspiration, man, you're going to find a lot of things in the Bible that are very inspirational, a lot of things that are very convicting as well if you come at it with an open heart. But if that's all that it is, it's, it's, it, you're going to miss the point. I don't want you to miss the point. If you come to Scripture, and I think this is one that I'm really guilty of, and maybe, maybe one that's really important for this community. If you come to the Scripture, and, and all that it is is sort of like religious self-help, something that makes your life better, and surely if you put into practice the words of this book, it will affect your life. It will affect your life. But if that's it, you're going to miss the point. You're going to miss the authority. You're going you're to miss the real reason why we believe in these scriptures. The reason that we believe in these scriptures is because the Bible points to a relationship with the God who's the authority behind the Bible. And, and religious intellectual exercises and spiritual feel-good inspiration and practical self-help, those things are all good, but if you miss the point, if you'll miss the authority. I want, you to, I want you to experience that for yourself. Because all roads through the Bible, they lead to one place. They lead to Jesus. And so Cleopas and his friend, they, they actually ended up figuring this out. And it wasn't because Jesus showed them that, oh, hey, there's Old Testament passages, and they were really old, and then Jesus came along and fulfilled them. That's actually not how they figured this whole thing out, as important as that is. So Cleopas and his bud, they're, they're walking along, right? And they're talking with um, 
uh, stranger Jesus because they can't recognize the guy. And, uh, and they're walking along and hearing him tell all these things about, oh, the Old Testament, and then Jesus did this, and Jesus is the fulfillment, and they're just amazed. And then they finally are walking along, and they get to the, to the uh, town that they're going to called Emmaus. And Jesus, he pretends like he's just going to keep walking on, but these two disciples, they say, whoa, 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 wait, don't, don't go. Come in with us. Come into my home. Have a meal with us. The day is, is long gone. Will, will, you, will, you just, will you stay a little longer? And, you know, you might be in a similar, similar place on the road right now as you're walking through life, and, and you're not sure what to make of the rumors, right? You're not sure what to make of the rumors about Jesus and the empty tomb and, and all these things. And maybe right now you can't really fully see Jesus. It's kind of hard to recognize him with everything that's going on everything that's on your mind, everything that hurts. And you've heard some things, right? You, you have some hopes. You have some doubts. But it'd be good to hear more. It'd be good to invite him in, this stranger, to hear more, to see more, to experience more. And there's, there's even as I'm talking right now, I, I, I have faith that some of you are just sensing that it might be a good idea to invite this stranger into your house, into your heart, into your life, so you can hear more, learn more, experience more. And inviting a stranger into your house, that can be kind of hard, right? I mean, what if they're dangerous? What if they're pretending to be something that they're not? What if my house is a mess? But when these two disciples invited Jesus into their house, even though Jesus was still a stranger to them at that point, when they invited him into their house, he didn't criticize any mess. <laughs> he, he didn't make demands. He had dinner with them. Look at this. This is what it says. It says that when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, the one in whom they hoped, but had died. They saw him, the one who was the center of the scriptures, the one who was the bottom line of what God wants to communicate to humanity about himself. They saw him in the breaking of the bread, and then he vanished, and I imagine, <laughs> I imagine that they like see Jesus vanish, and they look at each other like, are we hallucinating? But when they saw each other, they knew. And that's when they said, did not our hearts burn within us? As he was opening up the scriptures to us on the road. And so these, the same hour, these two guys, this, these disciples, they ran back to Jerusalem to the other disciples, seven miles through the dark of night, because they knew they had to tell them that Jesus was truly alive. They knew what this meant. They knew that this meant that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. They knew that this meant that Jesus was the source of salvation. They knew that, they meant that this meant that Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he was the true authority behind the scriptures. They knew that this meant that they had placed their bets on the right horse, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. And they had to tell the other disciples, and so they ran back there. And the reason that they recognized this, the reason that they encountered Jesus, the reason that they uh, received his grace, it wasn't because they just knew about old prophecies and how he fulfilled them. It's because they encountered him. 
They received him in the breaking of the bread, and they recognized him that because only a few nights earlier, before the empty tomb, before the cross, Jesus gathered with his disciples for a final meal, just like he'd done many times before. And the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we're going to have a chance to enter into this meal together. The same meal that, that these disciples walking on the road to Emmaus experienced. Because it was more than, than just seeing, oh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They were able to encounter Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And so what I want you to do during this first song of reflection, I, I just want you to take some time to do some personal business with God. I, I want you to consider, I mean, who is the real authority in my life? How do I approach the Bible? Can you see Jesus at the center of everything? Are you willing to invite the stranger in? Take this time to, to reflect on that as they play the song. And, and as Chris said at the beginning of the service, um, during the second song, the communion servers will come up. And when you're ready, then you can just come right down the center aisle. Uh, this, this table is for anyone that by faith would want to call Jesus their Lord and Savior. You're, you're welcome to come and be at this table and, rec and to receive him, to receive him. So will you, uh, will you close your eyes and bow your heads and can we pray together? Heavenly Father, you've spoken in mighty and perfect ways. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you preserved it for so many years. Thank you uh, that you have fulfilled it, Lord, that you're a promise-keeping God. Thank you that all roads through the Bible, they lead to you, Jesus. That you're the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You, you're described in the New Testament. You're the center of everything. You're the, you're the authority behind the scriptures. You're the authority in the universe. You are the word. And so, Lord, would you, would you make our hearts burn? Would you open our eyes so that we can see you, that we can experience you, that we can receive you in this time? And now let us pray as our Lord taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.